Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Sidebar with Cindy on Kaya FM 95.9. FM 95.9, home of the Afropolitan at 7 o'clock. And thank you to Ndate John for a really riveting show. He'll be back tomorrow evening. This evening on Sidebar Cindy, with me, Dr. Cindy Siwe Fansale, we're talking about color. And the question I'm asking is, which color would you say describes your sex life? Medical issues, sex and family. Finance, parenting and emotional development. Sidebar with Cindy. Cindy. Every Monday to Thursday, 7 to 8 p.m. on Kaya FM 95.9. Kaya FM 95.9, home of the Afropolitan. Welcome to Sidebar Cindy with me, I'm Cindy Siwe Fansale. If you've missed any of our previous shows, you can catch them on podcast on FM Rewind at kayafm.co.za. So this evening's show is about color and about sex. And the question I'm asking is, which color would you say describes your sex life? So before we take your calls on 086-00-00959, let me just tell you what I've learned so far about this topic. So did you know that the color of your clothes or bedroom gives people a clue about about your personality, but also about your sexual personality as well. So according to an article that was shared on social media, um, on IOL.co.za, the couples with purple bedclothes, walls or furniture have more sex than those with rooms leaning towards any other color. And then people with red bedrooms, you know, come through uh, with a respectable 3.18 sessions per week. And those with sky blue bedrooms manage 3.14 sex sessions a week. So this is very interesting. So, yeah, I ask again, what color would you say describes your sex life? So we're taking your calls on 86 You can also SMS us on 36959. The hashtags on social media are Sidebar Cindy and Kaya FM Talk. I'll be joined on the line by Hayden Nibs, a clinical psychologist from Hrunkluf in Pretoria. Hayden is also a sex therapist and that's one of his areas of expertise. So in between the color talk, we'll also be discussing sex and um, Hayden will be able to answer uh, you know, a lot of the questions there. So welcome to Hayden. Thank you so much, Hayden, for joining us, um, for joining me on Kaya FM um, right. on Sidebar Cindy. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you so much. So before we dive into the topic, um, just a few questions about yourself. Um, I know that you're a clinical psychologist and I know that sex therapy is one of your areas um, of, of one of your focuses of interest. Um, So what got you, what got you interested in in sex therapy? Well, um, sexual functioning is such a pivotal part of human life. Yeah. So it's really, really integral when it comes to couples, which is, is something that's quite common in private practice. Mm. Um, and it also really, when it comes to pathology and sex, it, it really can dampen and limit um, the one's life fulfillment in quite a profound way. Mm. Uh, so I, th- I think to neglect it is, is really a bit of a disservice. And are people, you know, I know that... We- I mean, I work. I work in the field of medicine, so obviously, I do. I, you know, I do come across a lot of people with, with erectile dysfunction or just other sexual um, um, problems. Are people yes. open about speaking about sex? What do you find? My context is yeah. My context is essentially um, a therapeutic practice, and and within that context, certainly, if if somebody is sitting with um, challenges, then then they they do tend to be open. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, even in that context, there are details that do seem to be a little bit taboo. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is something that we are socialized around that it should be something to be a little bit taboo about, a little bit. Um, 
embarrassed, mm-hmm. which I think is a, is a bit of a shame. But mm-hmm. it, it, it does tend to be quite exposing to public. For, for most people, yeah. And I mean, I know in the line of work that I do, when men come in and they have a sexual problem, they tend to go around in circles. So we're sitting there and we're speaking about everything else but the but the problem. And, and I have to make the effort to either read between the lines and then try and extract information out of them. Yeah. Or it's something that they leave until the very end, just before they leave, and then 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 mention that they have this problem. Um, is it the mm-hmm. same with you? Or, um, you know, do you have to drag stuff out of men or are they just open in, in the way they speak about their issues? It does depend. Um, but when it comes to males, the male sexuality we, we really find is, is strongly, strongly linked to the sense of self-worth. Mm. Um, and, and it may be some males might feel a little bit embarrassed speaking to a female about it. That's uh, that true. That could be playing a role. Yeah. Um, I'm not exactly sure, but I must say I, I, do, I do find a bit of both. Some males that I see will, will sit uh, very, very hesitantly. It's quite a, a delicate sort of path to walk because it is really that sensitive. Mm. Now, I'm, I'm, let, me, let me be clear, it's not that it is not sensitive for women, but... Uh, specifically when it comes to performance issues, it, yeah. it does tend to be quite strongly linked to a ma- male identity. Mm. Uh, and and yeah, because of that, there really, really is a sensitivity between sharing, you know, behind sharing it. It's almost uh, as if the worry that they, they are less than because of it. Mm. And I also find that the words that are used, I mean, when I have a, cu- a consultation with, the, with with couples, I always try to, you know, if, if the one... If the if the female partner says says stuff something like you know he's not performing anymore or I don't feel him anymore you know words like that come up I try to to, to you know to soften the blow and to use better wording around that because words stick. Yeah. very smart I I would say ninety percent of psychological issues in the bedroom revolve around pressure and expectation mm. uh, and in that sense specifically with male erection we have that kind of mechanism at play and you, you are actually highlighting it so uh, very very smart to try and dampen it. It, it, it classically yeah even really uh, intricate interventions around that very theme to stop the pressure uh, it functions a bit paradoxically in nature Mm. If, if one if one attempts to um, let's say for a male attempts to attain, attain a re- an erection and the focus is on that, um, the focus is on the fear of losing the erection. Paradoxically, one will lose the erection. The idea is to get lost in sex so that the arousal occurs uh, naturally. It's to force it paradoxically stops it. Yeah. And when a partner is basically saying he's not performing. That impact is the the pressure uh, behind that judgment, coupled with that male identity connected to the the, the sexuality. Yeah, it it, it almost it, it is profoundly powerful. It, it pushes uh, very often, especially a male with erectile dysfunction. Yeah. It will push the male almost immediately into trying so hard to not lose his erection. He will. He can almost guarantee that he won't get it. Mm. Okay. Well, onto more fun stuff. I mean, and the I mean, the show will be about the colors you know that describe people's sex lives but in, obviously in between we're going to do we're going to we're going to take calls and i'm sure a lot of people have serious um, um sex questions um so what do you think of 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 the topic the psychology of color when it comes to one's intimate life what are your thoughts around that um sure, <laughs> I, 
a, a bit of fun, but I, I, w- I wouldn't place too much clinical emphasis on it. Yeah. If I read, <laughs> read the, the, the report, um, I, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a, a survey really from a company. Yeah. It's not, not published in a scientific journal. Um, I, I, I didn't see anything on uh, statistical significance in, <laughs> in the findings. Yeah. Uh, not to mention, really, a correlation is no indication of causality. Um, I, I would rather say there's other interactional elements that one could put forward if, if, if we wanted to really understand why some person, one individual's sex life is more frequent. And, and, we'll, and I'm sure those issues will come up as, as you know, as the show yeah. goes on. But it, so, as you say, so there was there was a survey done, and um, you know, it turns out that you know, if your bedroom is is purple, then you are having sex an average of three point four nine times a week. If it's red, okay. it's three point one eight times a week, and then you know, then, then it goes down at the colour. So pink came in at number at number four at three point zero two times a week, and I'm my favourite colour is pink, so I was happy to see pink in the top five. And then beige comes down at number eleven at one point nine. Seven times, and grey. I mean, when you think of Christian Grey's um, Fifty Shades of Grey, grey comes ah. very low at number thirteen, at one point eight zero times a week. And then they went on to speak about the types of bedding and how many times um, you know mm. sex you have sex per week. You know, when it comes to the bedding that you have, so silk bedding. So if you have silk bedding, you're having sex four point mm. three times a week. If you have cotton bedding, it's two point seven two, and then duvets. <laughs> came in last at number five at 1.80 uh, um, times a week. Uh-huh. So I found that very interesting. And, and um, I'm hoping that, you know, that the listeners will call in and, and just share a bit around that. Um, but back to, so back to, back to, um, um, to back to sex and, and the work that you do, um, 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 Hayden. Yeah. Uh, so in, in terms of, of couples, I mean, so I, I see a lot of couples and I'm sure you do too. What's, yes. what's the biggest challenge when it comes to, to women? And 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 sexual problems. So I know with men, erectile dysfunction obviously is is is, is top of the list. But for women, yeah. what do you find is the is the main presenting problem? Mm, that the the woman, well, I find two. The, the one is that the male presents the problem for the woman. Okay. Um, and that one is normally frequency. Um, or the the woman sometimes have painful sex. Mm. Um, I, I would probably say those are the, the two. And, yeah, and painful sex is quite a, it's, it is quite a problem. And I always, refer, I always refer patients that are experiencing this to a sexologist. It could be psychological, it could be physical. I mean, obviously I do a physical examination and then I'll yes. then refer them to a sexologist if I can't find anything, um, anything, anything yeah. wrong. And, and frequency, frequency is... Is a challenge, and uh, I mean, how how do they word it when that comes up? Is is it frequency per week? Is it frequency per night, per day? What 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 do they what do they say? Um, they normally don't. My my experience has been that it's not so much worded or phrased in, in an actual numbers calculation. Mm. It's only a general complaint that there is not enough sex. Within the, within the relationship. Um, actually, if I'm to clarify, I must say both ways. Probably the most complained about thing that I see is frequency of sex. The, the females will complain that they are not, the, their male partner is not having sex as much as what their need is. And the males complain that the female partner is not having sex as much as what their need is. Mm. I've seen it probably the, bo- the most in both. Uh, after that, more on the 
the real pathological side would be the, the erectile dysfunction, uh, the, the painful intercourse. Um, but yeah, they, they normally just word it in a general uh, complaint. They classically, I, I, I prefer to see a couple first one session each separately, uh, and this is because partly it is to facilitate venting. Um, so they don't they, when they vent it with me classically they're not very delicate about it um, mm. because the the the, the, well, the the psychological process is essentially to process those emotions so that we can work um, but if they are to vent together they just do more damage mm. so classically when they're together we will already be facilitating a change in the communication that is going to result in a change within the sexual pattern in any event so I, I won't. I won't allow them to vent to each other in a way that will create destruction, and and which is damaging um, to the to you know further damaging to the relationship. Yes, because well, classically, what I what I found is is the sexual frequency, the sex life, all of that is connected to the pattern of interaction, yeah. uh, which lies in the communication, really defining the nature of their relationship. Um, I, I find perhaps a bit more than what I see colors. I see that. Uh, the nature of interaction either elicits um, arousal and attraction, if we're talking on the level of sex or closeness, um, or it doesn't. It creates unfinished business, power struggles. Um, it, it creates a lot of distance uh, or there very many unique patterns that, that really squash arousal. Mm. So it's rather on that level that I will classically try and intervene and facilitate a change so that we can make whatever the shift is. Mm. Um, that for, yeah. Okay, well, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Cybot Cindy with me, um, Dr. Cindy Siwe Fansale, and I'm chatting to Hayden Nibs. He's a clinical psychologist based in Hrungluf in Pretoria, and he also um, works, uh, you know, he also focuses on sex therapy. And this evening's topic is an interesting topic. We're speaking about color. And, um, you know, if color has an effect on your sex life. So if your bedroom is purple, then we know that you are having sex about 3.49 times a week. And then if it's red, it's 3.18 times a week. Sky blue is 3.14 times a week and so on. And so, and so the colors go down, um, with the, with the gray coming down at number 13 with a measly 1.80 times a week. But obviously in between the fun of this topic, we're speaking about sex and problems that couples face, um, you know, in their relationships and Hayden giving tips on how to, and how to work around that. Um, you know, children, Hayden, um, are a challenge. So we have a couple, they've been having a great sex life, you know, you know, swinging from chandeliers and everything else. And the children arrive. What is the, what is, what is it about kids that changes the dynamics of a relationship. I mean, I, I've got two kids, a 10 year old and a seven year old. And I know that the first yeah. two years is really challenging in terms of time yeah. and adjusting to this new, new person in your life. You know, what, what do you see with the people that you counsel? Yeah. Um, children, very difficult to say. Let me rather say the addition of a child in a family system has a profound impact. Mm. It shifts the, the, really the structure of the family, adding an extra member. Uh, classically, children start out completely dependent. So the parents uh, sacrifice all of their needs. They go from being quite used to having their needs fulfilled to not. Uh, in fact, they, what I've seen, uh, so let me not generalize, but, yeah. but uh, I have seen where very often I will, I will find that so many needs are sacrificed for so long that the focus 
of identifying needs moves to the child. It's just the person is not even in their own skin as often, yeah. uh, which will lower the sex drive. Uh, there is also uh, having a child, especially a young child, introduced into the system poses a bit of a challenge for closeness within a couple. Yeah. Um, it's not to say that it will stop the closeness, but one has to be quite conscious of it. And, and to make an extra effort. Yeah, yes, yes, indeed. Absolutely. To actually put in steps to identify, okay, we're a bit more distant now because we're spending a lot more time on these kind of, with the child, with these chores. We now have to go out of our way to reconnect. Uh, very often couples fall a bit into a pattern and they don't pay attention to that detail. Uh, and it's a bit like a, a slow drifting apart. Mm. And it's so what I've seen yeah. is a couple of years down the line, yeah, there, there, there is far less um, sexual behaviors occurring, a lot more emotional distance. Uh, yeah, so it's it's certainly something I, I would rather say for, for couples out there is, is to pay a bit of attention to it. It is, it is not a matter of attempting to have everything sunshine and roses. It's it's just a, a logical conclusion of adding an extra element within a system. And of so course that'll good and just to note and to act upon. Yeah, and changing beating to purple will make a difference as well. <laughs> okay, so going to Twitter, the hashtag is SidebarCindy. So we have a few tweets, quite a few tweets. Percy underscore okay. Tan says, um, which color is for zero? He's asking for a friend. And um, ooh, um, Beverly says, gray. It should be zero, though. It's really bad. And uh, someone, spoke, someone someone else made a comment about the color beige. Um, who, else, who else made a comment? And then Uzo says that based on the charts, I have the highest number, but it ends on the charts. Um, and then Karen van Weg says, I don't see an option for every day. Um, then Moloko says, my bedroom is gray from bedsheet to curtains. And she, sco- I mean, that gray came in at number 13 at 1.80 times um, a-, a week. Yeah. And, and yeah, and so it went on. People are just commenting and telling us what, what color their rooms are. And um, it's interesting. I mean, the, the responses to this have been quite, have been quite varied. And um, I, I think it's eye opening for people to, to, to know such things. And just reading it like specifically, like going into each color. I mean, I love, I love pink, so I'll read what pink says. So it says, persons who like pink show a reluctance to mature in sexual matters. Women tend to tease, to promise more than they intend to deliver. In some cases, they flaunt their femininity, but because secrets, secretly they hate men. Okay, I don't know about that, but um, that's, that's what this says. <laughs> purple, <laughs> lovers of purple frequently consider themselves too regal for a fun romp in the sack. Women sometimes are the type who hate to mess their, to mess their hair. Men are businesslike in their, this is like purple, men are businesslike in their approach to lovemaking. In both sexes, purple partners are more concerned with their fulfillment than anyone else's gratification. So the purple, the purples are very selfish. And then um, green says those who prefer green are fresh and innocent in their approach to sex. Women who love green will, ma- will make love like virgins all their life. And a man may also be a trifle clumsy and awkward, but in a charming and endearing sort of way. Green lovers are gentle, but not passionate. If chosen as a mate, one will never need to worry about infidelity. So that's just a few of the things that they've said about the colors. I'm chatting to Hayden Nibs, um, a clinical psychologist from Kroonkloof in Pretoria. And he also um, does um, sex therapy. And this evening we're talking about colors and um, you know what the colors mean for your sex life. So a survey was done of 2000 adults by retailer um, littlewoods.com. And it revealed, um, they, 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 it revealed that, um, you know, if, if you love the color purple, um, you're having sex about, what, 3.49 times, um, a week. If you love the color yellow, it's 2.43 times a week. If you love the color beige, you're down there at 1.97 times a week. And gray, 
you know, I mean, we all know about Fifty Shades of Grey, but Grey, um, you know, scored a measly 1.80 times a week. And this the survey went a bit further and spoke about bedding as well. So silk, if you're sleeping in silk sheets, you're having sex a lot, 4.35 times a week. Cotton sheets, number two at 2.72. And then um, polyester comes in at 2.33. And I can understand why, because polyester is so uncomfortable sometimes. And the color gray is preferred by people who are indecisive. They can't get excited about anything, including colors. So they choose a non-committal shade. Men who prefer gray look at sex as a means of relieving tension. Nothing more and nothing less. It's wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. So these are the things that came up in this survey. But we're taking your calls on 86 you can SMS us on 36959 and the hashtags on social media are Sidebar Cindy and the other hashtag is KayaFM Talk on this lovely cold Tuesday evening. Hayden, thank you so much for being here and um, as I said, we continue with questions about sex, about the colours, but a lot of questions around sex, um, you know, because you know, that's one of the things that you're an, you're an expert on and I know that before the break we spoke about children and the impact that kids have on um on a couple's sex life and how it's important to make to to prioritize and make time for each other. Um, yeah. So one of the things that I I always advise people to do, especially as I said, when it comes to having kids and that 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 initial that initial two years when you're all focused on this child is to make a timetable. And I know when if I speak about this, people are like, no man, that's so boring. I mean, where, where's the spontaneity? But if in between breastfeeding and making bottles and so on, you really can't be spontaneous. You know, and then when the, when the kids become toddlers and they're running around and knocking on your doors and there's no privacy, it's also very difficult to be spontaneous. So, what are some of the tips yeah. um, that you'd give um, listeners who are in that 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 you know that tricky first two to three years of of parenthood? Yeah, quite a challenging time there because really, as we were saying, a lot of the focus is is directly on the children. Very very demanding phases in the, in the beginning. I will say, where possible, create contexts where there is time for the marital relationship. Um, whether it be that the, the, the kids have a set bedtime, that there's some time afterwards. Um, in, the, in that sense, there can be a degree of spontaneity and unexpectedness within sex rather than, than a strict expectation around sexual acts. Um, if there's a possibility of going away or having maybe if, if one is lucky enough to have the grandparents involved, mm. they can babysit a little bit of time there. We can create a little bit of space for the, for the parents. Um, I, I mean, ideally, if, if there can still be a separate time, like a date night, mm. that, that is a bit regular, um, so that the relationship, the, the marital relationship can still really be worked on. I, I really want to emphasize the, the crucialness of not... Uh, let me rather say a relationship... It's like a living organism, like like a plant. Mm. Uh, some the strongest relationships can be like a cactus that requires very little water, but every one of them, everyone requires energy. It, it will not survive unless effort is placed into it. Mm. And another another question that I have for you, um, Hayden, is if mm. if you're dealing with a partner that has a low um, libido, and so you know they've 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 come to you. The, you know, they're going through yeah. counselling, and it's it's now on the table that the libido is low. Um, yes. You know, what do you advise those couples? And I'm, and I'll talk about myself. So when I was, I'm living with depression, and at the at the the darkest times of my depression, I really had no libido. The medication had kicked in, yeah. and and you know, everything is dry. Your eyeballs are dry. Your mouth is dry. Everything is dry. And I really had no desire to 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 have to have sexual intercourse, and. Yeah. 
I knew that I, I knew what was happening. I mean, because I read all the side effects. Um, but I just couldn't bring myself to, you know, to do anything. It, I, I knew what I had to do and I knew what I wanted to do, but I just couldn't. So what would you advise someone that's going through, through that? Would be, be through, through cause of medication or depression or just other reasons? Yeah, very, very difficult, uh, especially with the added variable, as you mentioned, with uh, medication and side effects. Um, there, one really does need to start to become even more uh, strategic and, and, and depending on the, the, the particular instance, start to introduce behaviors that start to raise the libido. Um, sure. Classically there, we, we will look really at the, 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 the functioning around the depression, the mechanisms, the, the psychological mechanisms that mm. are maintaining it and seeing if some shifts can be there. But let's say in, in principle, <clears throat> what you want to do is with the, the medication, as you know, we, we're almost turning the volume down on the yeah. emotional experience. Yeah. So you have to turn the volume up on the arousal eliciting type behaviors. Um, there you, you are now referring to female arousal. Yeah. Classically, the female libido is exceptionally sensitive to pressure, well, to expectation. Uh, what you want to elicit is a bit of uncertainty and a bit of unpredictability. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you want, yeah, oh, you're putting me in a bit of a situation because for me to explain female libido, I want to do it to the males without the females listening, because if they do, if the females hear it, it's paradoxical that the males can't implement the strategy because it's shown up. But essentially, so I won't reveal the, the trick. Okay, alright, that's fine. The impact might be that the, the woman is unsure whether or not sex is going to happen. Okay. And there's other behaviors that are starting to wake up the libido and then stop and start and stop and it's random. Okay. Uh, if that is succeeded, you ignite female libido. Oh, so basically you must just jump, you must just jump the person. No, that will... <laughs> <laughs> I will say jump the person and just before jumping, stop. Then the next time, jump. The next time, don't. Now we have unpredictability. Oh my gosh, no, you can't do that to an ahead. And I mean, <laughs> okay, well, okay, this is new. This is interesting. Well, I hope people are taking notes. I hope people are listening and taking notes. Well, if you've just tuned in, you you're listening. Find, you will find a woman that is looking and wondering and waiting. That's how you ignite. Okay. okay, well, this is interesting. So this is Sidebot Cindy <laughs> with me, Dr. Cindy C.O. Fancel. I'm having a riveting conversation with Hayden Nips, um, a clinical psychologist from Schoenkluf, and he's speaking about um, sex, your personality, and color. And, um, you know, we, I've gone through this interesting list of, of, of uh, a survey that was done by littlewoods.com, and they surveyed 2,000 adults. And they, you know, they, they then came up with... Um, Results showing what um, if your bedroom color is a certain color, how many times a week you're having sex. So number one is purple, and number two is is red. So they have some of the 
the, the descriptions of people that like certain colors. So red, um, people who like red tend to be tigers in the sack. They are easily aroused and enjoy sex in every way manageable, imaginable. Once a sexual spark is, light, is lit, it takes hours to extinguish. And lovers of red tend to be the aggressors and weaker colors should beware. I love that. That's like, like, like red for danger, you know, watch out. And they also speak about black, the color black. So black color preferences point to um, black sex. These people are the misfits of the sex world and seek each other in kinship. They are moody people and often perform at their peak when under stress or during um, unhappy times. Orange, lovers of the color orange lean towards sexual fantasies. The sex act is regarded as a dramatic role, a one-act play in which they are the star. Foreplay is the most important um, act of love. Orange people often do not experience orgasm, but they put in a damn good act. So this is all stuff from the survey that was done. It's not scientific, which is having an interesting discussion about color and sexual personality, but also a more serious discussion about um, bedroom issues that, that may come up. And this is why I'm chatting to Hayden Nibs. And he's been, he's been fantastic so far, giving us tips on, on, on how to handle, you know, your sex life, especially when there's kids around or if there's matters of erectile dysfunction and other issues that, that may come up. Um, I'd rather alcohol, Hayden, um, can have an effect on, on a person's um, sex life. And, and, you know, the more people, some people, not everybody, but some people do have an issue where if they've had too much to drink, they then can't, um, you know, perform perform in the bedroom. Um, and that's a sensitive topic. I think, I think, you know, alerting a person to their drinking habits is not always easy. Um, when you come across such, how do you broach the subject? If, if, you know, if it becomes clear during the therapy session that alcohol is contributing to, to the bedroom problems? I, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, as you know, thin the blood makes erection a lot more difficult. Mm. Um, but I, I will, I will approach it really in a in a completely non-judgmental manner. It's not the quality of an individual. Uh, it's not something to do with them. Uh, and if it is, is noted and, and quite clear, that that can normally be be um, really uh, worked past. Uh, I, I will say if there's, if there's other things like an individual that, that really is struggling with the confidence to initiate sex and then uses alcohol to build the confidence and then struggles because of the consequence of the alcohol. Mm. There you have a bit of a double-edged sword. Uh, so really depending on the, 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 the clinical picture at hand, we'll look at the detail of, of, of what is maintaining it. Um, if alcohol is having a pivotal role in, in the functioning of the individual, uh, let's say if somebody is functioning as, as an alcoholic in, in that kind of an instance, obviously there, there will be completely different challenges that we will look at. Um, but classically, it will it, be to, to try and build the, the sexual life almost on the side so that the alcohol is not necessary for, for the sex to occur. Mm. And, that, and that topic, and, and obviously this is now the couple working hand in hand you know, with you to make sure that they can do this. Yes, if they if they come in and they are having a challenge in their sex life, and it's really really clear that the challenge only exists during the presence of excessive alcohol drinking, mm. then that is no, normally just to show that up in a very non-judgmental manner, um, unless it is that they are struggling to choose not to engage in, in excessive alcohol use. Uh, normally, what I find is they they may okay. On these types of nights, if we drink too much, we're not going to be having sex. If the need is to, to really let loose and drink, 
then there's normally less pressure on it. Uh, I've also found sometimes then they do, in fact, have sex uh, without the pressure on it. Um, but, of course, if it is that once it's discovered and then shown up, there's still a huge struggle to stop drinking. Classically, there is a function. There is a reason, a role that alcohol is playing. Um, I, whether it be other sexual issues mm-hmm. where someone is then utilizing alcohol um, as a blame-free way of not engaging in sexual contact, uh, because then it's, it's alcohol I would like to, but it's the alcohol that stops it. Oh yeah, uh, and that's so, and that's actually yeah, that's something I hadn't even thought about that a person could be using alcohol as yeah, yeah as a, as you say, that's a very nice way of putting it as a blame-free way of avoiding sexual contact. Indeed, the alcohol actually maintains control of the relationship uh, because it's untouchable. So, really, here that, that is just one example. What we find is in each clinical case, uh, if if the alcohol is then a challenge, and and the sex is really dampened by it to the point that it becomes the issue on the table and when shown up it is not able to be stopped classically there is another role of that alcohol okay uh, that that is one, simply one example but depending on the case we will we will uh, look at the clinical detail and facilitate shifts that render the function redundant then what we find is the alcohol falls away we find other ways to express needs other ways to to fulfill the clinical function Okay. Another topic that um, I think is important to talk about, to speak about, just touching on on, on sex lives, is when one partner's um, physical form has changed. So say you've had a baby and now you have a jiggly tummy or, you know, there's been some physical changes and... You know, you either your, your self-esteem is very low and you don't want to engage in sexual intercourse any longer with your partner or your partner starts making comments about how jiggly your tummy is and so on and, and, and claims to be put off by, by the way that you look. How would you go around that? Yeah, very, very delicate one. Uh, they, let, let me split them into two general categories. Yeah. The one is when the, the individual in themselves is self-conscious um, but the partner is not showing any indication that they are bothered by the jiggly tummy or whatever you're mm. talking about. Uh, in that instance, classically, we, we are there needs to be closeness and a bit of an emotional corrective. Uh, often what we see when it comes to attraction is initial attraction uh, is, is obviously influenced by looks. Uh, but the patterns of interaction as we get to know and engage with people, our actual visual perception and our level of attraction starts to alter depending on the way that we engage and our communication. In this way, we start to find people we really like more attractive and we start to see somebody that initially looked very attractive and we start to dislike them. And before we know it, we say, oh, they're actually not that good looking. Mm. Uh, so we see that a lot of interactional elements play a role in something like attraction. And very often, one partner's body will change and they will subjectively be worried that they are not attractive to their partner. And yet the partner sees the unique nature of it and they see the beauty in it and are still hugely attracted. So it's, it's almost on that logical level that the therapeutic intervention is to get past that barrier to allow that feedback to come through and a corrective emotional experience so the partner that is insecure actually feels the impact that they are eliciting arousal uh, and they 
almost facilitating a continuation of that yeah. moves a bit past it. On the other hand, uh, what you mentioned, let us say one individual's body has changed and the partner quite literally judges them and says, wow, you are unattractive, something along these lines. Mm. That one is a bit more delicate. In a, in a long-standing relationship, um, a marriage or been together for quite a while, classically they, they liked each other at a point. Uh, in those relationships, what we normally find is if behavior like that is present, that judgmental element, yeah. there's normally vast amounts of unfinished business that have built up within the relationship. Oh, I see. Yeah. And, and is it there that we will start to work um, and, and really find, work through the detail? Again, that unfinished business can also act to skew the perception. Uh, so so it's a bit on that level that we will work. Obviously, if it's a brand new relationship and the person is quite judgmental, that is a bit of a different mechanism. Classically, that won't really end up in a therapy uh, session. But of course, as a psychologist, I observe human behavior as well. Uh, there we have a partner with high levels of judgment um, and an attempt to control another partner trying to sculpt them into what they want. Classically, there is a bit of a poor prognosis for the, for the duration of that relationship. This evening's show um, is about color and your sexual personality and, you know, what color means in your bedroom. So a survey was done and they, they, they surveyed 2,000 adults um, and they is littlewoods.com and they found that um, people who snuggle up under duvets, maybe snuggling up alone, those guys see action only 1.8 times a week compared to people who have silk bedding and they see action 4.3 times five a week. But the interesting part was the colors. So number one is purple. So people that have purple um, bedrooms, which is according to Natalie and Iki color, um, are having sex quite a bit. And then at the bottom of, of the list at number 13 was gray coming in at 1.80. And I'm still chatting to Hayden Nibs. He's a clinical psychologist based um, in Groencliffe, Pretoria, and he also does sex therapy. And we've been having a very interesting conversation about you know people, the issues that people have in the bedroom and in between we're chatting about the colors. So Hayden, um, thank you for joining us and welcome back um, for, the last, for the last quarter um, of the show. Um, so, so yeah, so, so one of the things that um, I was also interested to, interested to find out from you is when, when there's been a, a change in a person's, um, okay, I know there's a change in the physical um, ability of a person, but do, have you ever had to cap, um, counsel a couple where um, there's been disability? So a person went from being able-bodied and now they're disabled and now they have to adjust to, to a, new, yeah, a new sex life as it were. Yeah, really, really challenging, um, and that really does depend on the detail. Uh, sexual functioning, even, I mean, I mean, as as you'll know, in 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 lots of spinal cord injuries, if if we if we look at there, still sometimes sexual functioning is is um, possible. Yes. Uh, if I'm talking about males, erections still can be achieved. Uh, so it really, really depends on the detail. But with that, let us say in a case where there, there is quite a significant loss of sexual ability, whichever way, uh, certainly that, that it requires an adjustment within the relationship. But uh, sometimes what we find is there, there is a bit of a mourning of a loss, yeah. uh, a loss from what was, um, but then what we what we build in is identifying what the sexual act fulfills, 
um, and finding other ways to fulfill it. There are numerous sexual acts that can please partners. Mm. Uh, and there's a deep closeness that can be achieved uh, still without the actual act of penetrate, penetrative sex. And I think that's an important, um, that's an important thing for people to know. Mm-hmm. Indeed. It, it, it is classically the biggest impact is, is the, the concern of the impact, the loss, all of those types of emotions. Um, because it, it really, when it comes to, to the, the loss of the sexual ability within the relationship, primarily lies there on the emotional level. Um, the, 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 the sexual gratification and fulfillment can still be achieved quite effectively through many, many other routes. And it's just a matter of the couple, um, you know, sitting down, acknowledging the changes, acknowledging the loss, and then working on a way, you know, working to, together on a way forward. Absolutely. Of course, a lot of delicate work, um, depending on the detail, depending on the situation. Uh, there we, we are talking profound impacts. Um, I mean, just if you imagine yourself, really, really a hard loss. Mm. Uh, so, so there's really, really delicate emotional work to be done there. But to just for, you know, for, for the sake of the listeners, it is not a case of, of hopelessness. It, it, it does by no means mean the loss and, and inability to, to create sexual pleasure in a partner. Um, they, are, they are many, many ways to skin a cat. Okay. Well, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Sidebar Cindy with me, Dr. Cindy Fancel, and I'm chatting to Hayden Nibs, clinical psychologist based in Hunkluf, Pretoria, and um, we're chatting about colour and sexual personality and, of course, um, you know, issues to do with, with, with sex. Hayden, another thing, um, you know, before we take calls on 86 Um and and yeah, and this is this is this is a difficult one. Is there a situation that you've come across where there's 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 no repairing the relationship? You've, the couple's in front of you, and you can tell that this is beyond repair. Um, yes, I have. I've not found it sexually yet. Okay. But through other reasons within the the relationship, yes. Classically, sure. This is a bit, bit of a different level, but um, if one treats, hmm, to oversimplify it, yeah. if we do not clear out unfinished business within a relationship, uh, some communication that has an emotional impact that hurts or is uncomfortable, and we never clear it out and we allow it to build for years and years and years and years, everyone's capacity is different. But at a point, if unfinished business goes too far, it changes perception. And what happens there is it kills love. What happens eventually is the perception of our partner alters uh, and it doesn't seem to return if it has gone too far. So what we understood them in a certain way, we actually start to say, no, you know, they weren't actually kind. They were just manipulative the whole Mm. time. Once that mechanism happens, uh, the drive to repair the relationship uh, if it has gone too far, the drive to repair is gone. Once that's gone, there is no fixing it. Okay. Well, we're taking calls. We have two callers, um, Zama from Johannesburg. Good evening, Zama, and welcome to Sidebar Cindy. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. Good. No, I was listening in regarding the disability. My brother was injured um, at his work. He lost his arm and his legs, and he was bent from head to toe. Uh, no toes anymore. But um, at the time, the wife was pregnant with the firstborn. Now they've got three kids. 
and she had to learn to to realize that she's got no arms, no legs, no legs. Mm. So she 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 has to do everything. You know, she uses the equipment, she plays, she asks to enjoy this. What so which which is something quite motivating because in terms of yes, it's true what you talk about. It depends on the disability. Yes, she might not have the touch and the feel, but she's got other things. So she can she has use. learned to live with that. But on the other hand, I've got a friend who is, um, um, we like to see her, we call her a midget. She's extremely short and the husband, but she's got, she's got, she's an overachiever. She's constantly thinking that people are constantly teasing her, which has also started affecting her marriage, you know? So, the disability thing is a serious thing for certain people, but I also think that once you learn that you've got a disability, learn to live with it and deal with it, yeah. you know? Yeah. No, thank you so much for that, Zama. We're taking okay. one more call. Um, we have Mervyn calling us from Johannesburg. Good evening, Mervyn, and welcome to Sidebar, Cindy. Hello, Cindy. Um, I'm so fascinated and also completely uh, enthralled by the discussion this evening because I think that human sexuality is so utterly complex on so many levels. I think that having heard a few of the discussions tonight, that, you know, if there is love in a relationship, Mm. then sex becomes a secondary object. Mm You know, if you love each other, and there are certain things that prevent you from having the perfect sex life. Well, that, that's just okay because you love each other. But if sex is the primary objective of your relationship, then I feel sorry for you, for one, as being a, a doctor who has worked in sexual health for nigh on 30 years. Um, and I would just like to say that, you know, Grow up. Mm-hmm. Nothing is ever perfect in this life. Um, there are always ways. There are always ways of making um, the, the sort of expression of human sexuality better. And if it is just a simple matter of a man not being able to sustain an erection. Well, there's several medications that we can prescribe mm. to make that better. Um, and some of them have been around for at least 30, 40 years. Mm. Um, they might be expensive, but, you know, for the one in, um, you know, every now and again situation for people who are disabled and have been discussed, you know, there is a discussion to be had about how to make it better. Um, From the development of Viagra about 25 years ago through to even better versions of Viagra, which exist, and um, amongst other treatments that are available, there is always an answer to a problem. But it has to be something that people are prepared to discuss openly in front of doctors. Um, a lot of doctors are not very good at discussing these issues because it's just human nature. But if you find the perfect specialist who knows what they're talking about, 
there's always a way of making it a better and less stressful issue. Oh, thank you so much for that comment, Mervyn. Mervyn is calling us from Johannesburg on 86 We have come to, or nearly come to the end of the show. So I'll be taking some closing comments from Hayden. And also, um, Hayden, please do make sure you tell us where we can find you because there's been a bit of interest on social media and people want to know where they can find you. But before we, you, know, you give us that information, what is your closing statement about tonight's topic? Um, I would say the colours are a bit of fun, but Perhaps don't take them too seriously. <laughs> and, um, other than that, I would say sexual uh, sexual challenges or sex is quite a delicate issue. Um, when our sexual needs are blocked, it can have a profound impact. But I would say that there is very few. I, I only say very few because I very I, I never speak in absolutes. Yes. There's very few instances that are completely hopeless. Okay. There's always a way that one can find um, and navigate for the needs or to elicit change or to facilitate change within uh, on the sexual level within a relationship. Okay. And where can we find you, Hayden? Um, you can go to my website. It's it's quite simple. It's www.pretoriapsychologist.com. Okay. And you can find me there. Okay, PretoriaPsychologist.com. Well, thank you so much for being such a fantastic guest. Um, I learned a lot from you, and um, I'm sure we'll have you back on the show um, some, sometime in the future. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Sidebar with Cindy. Every Monday to Thursday, 7 to 8 p.m. on Kaya FM 95.9. Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Visit kayafm.co.za for more.